Before I begin with my prepared thoughts, I just want to say I love what Todd just said at the table. And it reminded me, I almost preached a sermon and then I, I scrapped it, about of the book of Ezekiel. And in the beginning of Ezekiel, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, Ezekiel, I want you to bring a message to my people. Um, and spoiler, Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you. But I want you to bring this message anyway. And I think that's incredible that God wants us to have a message of repentance and a message of hope and a message of redemption, whether we're going to listen to it or not. And I, I just love that God loves us so stubbornly that he's, he's got to keep trying uh, and he won't take no for an answer. I love that about our God. I think that's incredible. So with my uh, sermon now, someone asked me recently, they said, Brent, um, what does a good Christian look like? And I was like, you know, that's a really, really good question. And uh, so I decided, well, let's, let's talk about that. And so quite simply this morning, I just want to look at the Sermon on the Mount and answer this question, what does a Christian look like? And I think here we will find four traits that we should possess as Christians, as people who are trying to follow Jesus. So, what does a Christian look like? Well, let's begin where Jesus begins. Let's read the first three verses of Matthew chapter 5. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That when you think about a Christian, baseline, a Christian is someone who is poor in spirit, or as I have written, destitute in spirit, because all my uh, points have D-E at the beginning. So when you think about a rich person versus a poor person, a rich person, I mean, they're, they're self-assured. They have their own protection. But you think about someone who's like a beggar on the side of the road. Like, they, they are not <laughs> independent. They are asking for help. They are dependent on people. They are recognizing and owning that they have a very deep need. Similarly, in uh, Matthew 5, verse 6, we are told, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That you don't hunger and thirst for something that you already have. This is a need. This is a recognition that I need something that only God can provide. And so maybe another way to say this is that a Christian is someone who is not going to be self-righteous. They recognize they need God spiritually. And we'll see the converse of this in, ver in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where we're told, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, I would like to posit that there are very few things in this world that are hungrier than a 14-year-old boy, but one of them is a lie or self-deception. And this is what we have in this instance. If you know that you are destitute in spirit, know that you are poor in spirit, know that you bring nothing to the table when, when in, in our relationship with God, then you are, you're not going to have a need to prove yourself. But if you're in denial about that, then you, like these hypocrites, are going to need to sound the trumpet every time you do something amazing. You're going to have a constant need to prove to others that you really are righteous, that you really are worth, that you really are everything that you think that you are. And so we find that people who are not poor in spirit have a need to show off all of their flashy good works. But if you're poor in spirit, you've got nothing to prove. You've, it's already been established that you are not righteous on your own, that you need God, that you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And in that case, why do I need to give where everyone can see? Why do I need to make it obvious? Why do I need to, you know, uh, as it will continue in verses 5 through 8, why do I need to pray in a really ostentatious way? It's, that's not going to work. I'm, I'm here about me and God. I'm serving God. I'm praying to God. And that's what this is about. Uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. <coughs> but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty praises like the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their empty words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. That we see people who pray ostentatiously to be seen by others. They have a self-righteous need that's being filled. Whereas we, who are poor in spirit, we don't need that. So we don't need to do that. And the Gentiles, they pray with many words, almost like... Uh, you know, it's a magic spell, and if you say the right ones, maybe you can make God do it, do what you want. But we understand that's not how prayer works. That's not how our relationship with God works. And so when we pray, we don't have to do that, because that's not what it's about. When we are poor in spirit, it's going to shape the way that we pray. It's going to shape the way that we interact with others. Notice chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. <coughs> Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That those people who are self-deluded, who are blind to the beam in their own eye. They're not going to be helpful. They're going to be confused and self-deluded. But when we can see clearly to take the log out of our own eye and help other people, when we are aware of our own spiritual faults and can acknowledge them and bring them to God and change them, that gives us power. And that's a starting point. 
That is the first thing that we need as a Christian. <coughs> now, I, uh, I was wondering, okay, so how do I obtain this, or how do I diagnose myself? How do I know whether I am poor in spirit or not? And I, I don't know, I saw a meme the other day, like a top, top tier kind of meme that I thought really hit this. There was a guy, this is in the meme he's reading, in Luke chapter 18, the, mess, uh, that, the story about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the, the, the Pharisee who says, ah, oh, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. He's the worst. And uh, then the guy in the panel, he's like, man, God, thank you that I am not like that. Man, I, he's so haughty. I'm so glad I'm not like him. And I was like, man, that's good. That's good stuff. When we read these stories sometimes, we can say, oh, man, those Pharisees, we're nothing like them. Or, uh, uh, those people, we, we aren't like those people at all. And when we, when we do that, we miss the whole point entirely. We are reading with blinded eyes. We need to be able to see these stories and see our faults in them. We need to be able to look honestly at ourselves and recognize <coughs> our own spiritual failings, how much we need Jesus, or to use the title of Jacob's uh, chapter one of Jacob's uh, School of Christ book, to own our spiritual poverty. This is starting point. What does a Christian look like? They're someone who is destitute in spirit, who's aware of their failings, and that allows us then to be dependent on God. If you look in the model prayer, you will recognize just how much of it is asking God for things. And the reason is because if we recognize that we, we don't bring anything to the table, we don't, we're not enough on our own, we need him, then that requires us to reach out for, to him for the things that we need. You could look, like I said, in the model prayer. We're asking God to give us our daily bread, to forgive us our debts, to lead us not into temptation, to deliver us from evil. We need God to do that because we can't do that on our own. We need his help. And as we continue in chapter 16, we read things like, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and seal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in, in steel. For, there your, where, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Two important things that come out of this. First, that if we are entrusting God with our treasure. We don't have a treasure here. Our treasure is there. However, and so we're automatically dependent on him, therefore, in this life. However, we recognize that treasure here isn't worth anything. That it, it doesn't mean anything. It's not forever. But treasure there, treasure with God, trust in God, depending on him, that is forever. That is, you take that to the bank. And so we have... This recognition, then, that if, if we are destitute in spirit, destitute both you know, physically and, and spiritually, that we need God <coughs> physically and spiritually. And so we call on him. And we, therefore, verses 25 through 34, are not anxious, but we cast our cares on him. This is what Jesus says. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its troubles. Listen, we can get caught up in the day-to-day. We can get worried. We can spin our wheels worrying about things that are really ultimately out of our hands. Or we can recognize our powerlessness, and we can choose to be dependent on God. And instead of wasting all of our time brooding and worrying, we can get to work in his kingdom, doing the things of God. That is what he calls us to do, and that is the mindset that allows us to have true, real peace in this life. It's the mindset behind here is, I've got one, mess, one text, not in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Psalm 131. This is the mindset behind Psalm 131. I love this psalm because it reveals such a simple trust in God. It says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I am calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Such peace can be found in this life if we just trust God. Trust that he will take care of us. So if you ask, what does a Christian look like? A Christian recognizes their powerlessness, both spiritually and physically, and chooses to be dependent on God. And then, next, what does a Christian look like? Well, a Christian then allows himself to be defined by God, founded on God. Now, what does this mean and what does it look like? Let me begin by <coughs> posing something of a riddle to you. So in the, in the Beatitudes, which... Uh, Carrie read for us this morning, the first 12 verses of Matthew 5, we read, I mean, these are the kinds of people that uh, God blesses. These are the kind of people that God wants, that they're, you know, they're meek, they're hungry, they're poor in spirit, they're mourning, they're going to be persecuted. These are not like the kinds of people that become really famous, you know, and yet These people, the destitute in spirit, these people who are weak in so many ways are told in verse 13 of Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, this seems a little bit odd. 
How is it that people who have nothing to bring to the table are suddenly salt and light to the world? Like, that's a big jump. How do we become that? How do we be a a worthy light when we have nothing to offer? Well, (coughs) we allow ourselves to be defined and filled by Christ. Because if we are empty, if we are totally dependent on him, then we must allow ourselves to be filled by him, founded on him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 tells us everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them and does not do them, sorry, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Listen, Jesus comes and he offers us a foundation. He gives us teaching. He gives us a way of life. And there are two kinds of people. The people who recognize their destitution and say, yes, a foundation, I need that because I don't have that on my own. And the people who say foundation, psh, I'm already righteous. I don't need that. People who do not allow themselves to be defined by God, people who do not hear these words and do them, are not capable of being lights because they're going to fall like a house built on sand. But people who recognize how poor they are, recognize how much they need God, are dependent on God, those are the kinds of people that God can use. Those are the kind of people who will accept a firm foundation. Those are the kind of people God can build with. And if that's the case, then (coughs) we begin to understand how it is that we can be salt and light because God in us is making us better than we could ever be on our own. God in us is allowing us to be, chapter 5, verse 41, perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. That's amazing that when we recognize we bring nothing to the table, when we recognize how much we need God, then that opens us up to be defined by God, filled by God, founded on God. And when that happens, we get point four, that we get to be indeed like God. When we are defined by God, filled by God, then we do the things that God does. We treat other people the way that God would treat other people. Notice the Beatitudes. Uh, 5 verse 7, blessed are the merciful. We know our God is full of mercy. Verse 10, blessed are the peacemakers. We know of so many times that God has brought peace. We read just this morning that God brought peace where there was hostility. We read, for example, verse 27. It is said that you shall not commit adultery, But I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, God created people to be people, not objects. And when you treat someone like an object, you're no longer treating them like God. But God sees people for people. And so if we're going to be interacting with people, we got to see people the way God sees them. Verse 31 of chapter 5, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality, 
makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Listen, if there's one thing I know about God, it is that he is faithful. It is that God never lets go. And so these people who are just letting their wives go willy-nilly, that's not how God treats people. When we are all of these things, then we will treat people the way that God wants us to do. Verse 33, again, it's heard um, (coughs) that it was said of the... uh, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or the earth, or his footstool, or Jerusalem. It goes on. Effectively, he says, be honest. What, again, what do we know about God? That you can take his promises to the bank, that God is trustworthy. So if we're going to be servants of God, we've got to be trustworthy too. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How many times has God had the perfectly good right to retaliate? But he doesn't do that. That's not how God operates. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of patience. Let me get to verse 43. You have heard it said, you will love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That here we see, what kind of God do we serve? A God who loves regardless of how worthy people are of it. A God who sends the, the, the sun that helps the plants grow on good people and on objectively terrible people. God who sends the rain that the plants need on, again, good people and bad people. That Gentiles, tax collectors, everybody knows how to treat people who are nice to them nicely. I mean, that's not special. But he says, you will be sons of your father when you love even your enemies. You talk about something that will make you a light in this world, that will separate you from the world, that will make you salt, this kind of stuff. When you choose to serve God, it will make a distinction in your life. You will be different. Finally, let me just say verse 12 of chapter 7. We know this as the golden rule where it says, so whatever you wish others would do for you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. But we know chapter 6 verse 32 that your father knows that you need all of these things. Your father knows what you need. We're told in chapter 7 verse 11 that your father gives good gifts that he knows what you need. He gives you good gifts. So if you serve a God who knows what you need, who gives you good gifts, why would you treat other people any other way? <coughs> we, are to, we are to be image bearers of God. We are to be light and salt by reflecting the things that God does and treating other people that way. But let me just say, I think a lot of times we get stuck on four. 
Because it's a lot easier for someone to say, okay, what does a Christian look like? We say, well, a Christian does the things that God does. Well, okay, yes, but you recognize that's only 25% of, of, of all this stuff up here. The we, it's easy to forget the things that are under the surface because this is the only really visible one. The rest of this stuff is a spirit. This, the rest of the stuff is the way that we think about God, the way we relate to God, the way we think about his word. And that's a lot harder for us to visibly see. But it is just as important that if we are to be servants of God, we must recognize our dependence on him, how much we need him. That is crucial. And so what does a Christian look like? A Christian recognizes that they are not enough on their own. They recognize how much they need God, and by that, they are then filled by God because they take his foundation, they take his word, they take the righteousness that they're hungering and thirsting for that he has to give. They take all that, and when they do, they become people who do the things that God does. That is what a Christian looks like. And so this morning, if you're out there, and you're hearing this for the first time, if you are not a Christian and you think, you know, that, that sounds like something I would like to, that would be the greatest decision you ever make. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there is persecution, Jesus tells us, even here in the Sermon on the Mount. And yet, if you want to serve God, you could make no better decision than to hear this, to say, yes, I want to make God the ruler, the Lord of my life. And to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, recognizing your dependence on God, and to rise to walk in newness of life, to live a life committed to him. But for many of us who have already made that decision, let us take this as an opportunity to reflect on what God calls us to do, reflect on who he calls us to be, and to live out this in our life and teach it to others. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and sing.